Yeah, I think it is find a problem that matters. And it doesn't matter to you. So I'll be very clear, like John and I built a lot of stuff. Like one of my most favorite things was like we made this little uh, positron detector. It was like sophisticated piece of tech. We were really impressed with ourselves. Nobody cared. So it's really <laughs> find the problem that matters, that matters to patients, that makes significant impact. Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. This episode of MedSider, I sat down with Ananth Ravi, CEO of Molly Surgical. Growing up in Zambia, Ananth lost his best friend to treatable brain cancer, which ignited his passion for creating equitable and innovative cancer care solutions. Before founding the company, he served as a medical physicist at Sony Brook Odette Cancer Center and clinical operations lead in brachytherapy. Ananth is a co-inventor on numerous patents and holds several grants for medical devices. Today, Ananth is leading Molly, a medtech startup that has made significant strides simplifying procedures in breast cancer surgery while dramatically improving patient comfort. Here for you the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, immerse yourself in the environment where your product will be used. Ensure that your innovation is driven by a real identifiable problem, then build products that minimize risk, maximize patient benefit, have a low learning curve, and are user-friendly. Continue to stay engaged with your key stakeholders even after building your MVP. Second, be purposeful from the start. Actively work on expanding your network, raising awareness of your vision and understanding of the market. As you build and leverage consultants, be sure your core team isn't overly reliant on any particular individuals or firms. Third, having a variety of funding sources is imperative for sustainable growth, especially as your company evolves through various stages. That said, it's important that you consistently communicate the impact, value, and significance of your company's work to your existing investors. This is key for appealing to both current and potential capital partners. All right, before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that the latest edition of MedSider Mentors is now live. We just published volume five, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with incredible entrepreneurs like Gabriel Jones, CEO of Proprio, Kirsten Carroll, CEO of Can Do Health, Dr. David Albert, founder of AliveCore, Greg Bullington, CEO of Magnolia Medical, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups in our space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can pick up from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. To check out the latest volume, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. You'll also be able to see all of our playbooks, which are hand-picked collections of the most insightful interviews with the brightest founders and CEOs that join our program. Whether you're looking to master capital fundraising, navigate early stage development, tackle regulatory challenges, understand reimbursement, or position your venture for a meaningful exit, MedSider Playbooks have you covered. And last, considering that fundraising can be one of the most daunting tasks for any startup, we created a meticulous database of investors right at your fingertips. Explore a wealth of VC funds, private equity firms, angel groups, and more, all eager to invest in medical device and health technology startups. Access to this database is a premium member exclusive, so don't miss out. 
Learn more about MedSider mentors and our premium memberships by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. All right, Ananth, welcome to MedSider Radio. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely looking forward to the conversation um, and learning a little bit more about not only your your journey, right, coming out of kind of the world of academia into into running Molly, uh, but uh, but really kind of you know what your you and your team have 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 been building over the last uh, last several years and you know where where you're headed next. So with that said, you're a, a you know a physicist turned entrepreneur, as I, as I just mentioned, I recorded kind of a, a very brief bio at the outset of this, this particular episode. Let's start there. Tell us a bit more about your professional background leading up to uh, uh, your current role as CEO of Molly Surgical. Sure. Yeah. I'm i I'm a medical physicist by trade. You know, when you say you're a medical physicist, people's eyes kind of gloss over and they think big bang theory and, and that kind of thing. But it's, um, you know, it's one of those careers that I was very fortunate to get into coming out of undergrad. I did a co-op term and got exposed to the world of, you know, technology and physics and how it's applied into clinical practice to ensure safe, safe, effective outcomes for patients that are undergoing radiation uh, treatment for, for, for cancers of all sorts and varieties. So very early I was hooked um, in this um, aspect of applying really cool technology and engineering and physics principles to have an impact that was very profound. It was really profound on like an individual person, patient um, perspective. So yeah, I love that career. And then that kind of set myself up to create all sorts of new technologies and uh, ended up, you know, leading Molly. Got it. And that uh, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile right now, which will uh, which will link to uh, in the full write up on MedSider uh, for this particular uh, for this particular discussion. But you you joined Molly back in, let's see here, mid 2018. Does that sound about right? So you've been at it five and a half years or so, uh, considering right. we're recording this in uh, kind of the, the, the very latter part of 2023. When when you think about um, the technology, right, your you know, your 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 kind of foundational technology, Give us an overview, maybe a, a, let's start first with like what, what it does. And then if you can kind of tell us a little bit more about the, the origin stories, considering you came into Molly first as a, as sort of the, the, the chief, I think chief science. CTO or chief science officer. Yeah. So give us a sense for like kind of where the, not only what, what, it, what it does, what you're working on, but uh, you know, where the, where the uh, kind of the, the origin story of the technology itself. Maybe I'll flip it around. I'll talk about the origin story that kind of lends its way into like what it does quite mm-hmm. nicely. Like, so mm-hmm. before um before 2018, I was clinical physicist. If you told me I was going to head up a medical device company, I would have been, that's not, that's definitely not me, but thank you for thinking of me that way. It's not going to happen. Um, and I was responsible for radiation oncology treatments for really prostate cancer patients, gynecological cancer and breast cancer patients. And one day, um, a breast a surgeon by the name of Nicole Lokong at Sunnybrook Hospital came to me and said, you know, our patient cohort that have breast conserving surgery really um, want a different way of being treated. And at the time, we're using this wire-based approach of treating breast cancer. Um, and, and at the time, she was suggesting, you know, instead of these wires, you want to implant radioactive seeds and you're responsible for radiation safety and the radiation aspects of um, radiation oncology. Could you help us build out this program? And I immediately was like, well, we use this to treat patients, not to 
find a spot that's not um that's a lot of administrative burden are you sure you want to do this and i was really trying to detract her from this entire endeavor and then you know fortuitously she she said that there's a patient family advisory committee um meeting where patients are going to talk about their experience why don't you go in and listen so i listened and it was profound. I still remember this woman coming in saying she had amazing care, but the one thing that stuck with her was um, this wire-based procedure. And she talked about it like it happened to her just an hour ago. So she came in, she had these wires that looked like fishing hooks. She was in hospital for six hours and she was in pain and discomfort. And she talked about how the team was amazing, but the experience just stuck with her long after she got treated. And so that's sort of like, okay, we do need to do something way better than this. And, you know, we recognize that implanting these radioactive plugs is a solution, but not the best solution. And this is where my chief technology officer and co-founder, who was actually my first student at the time, John Dillon, we kind of started iterating solutions along with Nicole to try and come up with something where you could mark the spot with really, like, make sure it's as minimally painful as possible. So we implant a tiny little permanent magnet the size of a sesame seed. It's coated in pure gold, so it's completely safe for the patient. This could be done up to 30 days prior to the surgery. So the patient does this as a five-minute procedure. It's not any more painful than like your flu shot, for example. And then they go home. They live their life, and then they have surgery on a separate day on their schedule, booked completely autonomously. And then the surgeon, instead of kind of palpating for this wire, now uses a wand and a tablet, and they can tell them the three-dimensional position of this marker in space. So it gives them far more precision that allows the surgeon now to plan out their surgical, um, um, the surgical plan with really looking at an aesthetic cure. So trying to hide the scar so that there's absolutely no trace behind for the patient. So, you know, it started there. It started off as a very research project within the hospital. And and it's one of those things where John and I would build all sorts of stuff that were very dedicated patient care within the confines of Sunnybrook. But this was the first time we started having, like, people started to find out and we got inbounds from U.S. sites and from sites across Canada saying, like, we'd love to participate. Is this available? Like, we'd love a solution. And I'm like, oh, there's something here. Um, so then we went through the standard ecosystem within um, Sunnybrook and University of Toronto and commercialized, um, found some cornerstone investors that were really well aligned with our, our vision. Um, and at the time, I was when we first started up Molly, I was still working at Sunnybrook because, you know, we wanted to make sure that we could iterate and answer the right questions and make a device that was absolutely the right fit and um, was really well designed to present the right amount of information at the right time. And so it took a little bit of me being in there and reiterating the design while we were building it commercially and then kind of switched over and then commercialized after we got FDA clearance and um, haven't, been, haven't looked back since. God, that's a great, that's a great origin story. And uh, I'm looking at the website right now, which is mollysurgical.com, M-O-L-L-I surgical.com, mollysurgical. Um, we'll link to it again in the full write-up on, on MedSider uh, for this particular discussion with Ananth. But um, so, so if I understand that correctly, the, the, the sort of the Molly system, um, if, if you want to think about it like that way, comes with that marker 
right? That allows, allows uh, you know, a physician to sort of precisely kind of map out, you know, where they want to surgically, uh, you know, intervene. Then you've got the tablet, which I think is probably used for 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 visual enhancement, and then the the wand, which I presume detects the the marker. Is that am I understanding exactly, that correct? Yeah. Got yeah, it. Yeah, so it. Okay. basically, like that's what you use to find it with precision, and then on the screen, it gives you kind of like a GPS guidance as to where it is in relation to the tip of that wand. Then the surgeon knows exactly where the marker is, and they can plan out how much tissue to remove. The other um, device we recently came out with was something called the Remarkable Tool that was launched this year as well. And that was, again, in response to being very clinically aware, asking what is important from the surgical community and the radiological community, right? So we find out that these markers are being placed into patients, but sometimes they're placed suboptimally or they wish they could place them a little bit more accurately in the center, Historically, there's nothing you can do about that. Like with, with a lot of the competitive technologies, there's nothing you can do to move it. You have to just go in and surgically take it out um, with that um, level of um, placement. With Remarkable now, we can percutaneously using a needle very similar to the one that you used to put in, actually take out the marker um, from the patient and then you can re-optimize as, as required. So that was something that we recently launched this year in addition to Molly 2. Got it. Sounds like a uh, fairly remarkable tool, right? Pun, pun for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The tongue in cheek puns are endless with that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm a father of five. So I try to work in some dad jokes along the yeah, way. Yeah. Right. So, um, <laughs> so, so um, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, you know, you're, you know, let's call it five and a half, six years in to, to Molly. Uh, it sounds like I'm not entirely sure when, without pulling up my notes here, um, when you received 510k clearance for the system, you recently launched Remarkable. Kind of g- give us a give us a high level sense, I guess, where where the company's at. Are you in full on kind of commercial commercial mode right now? Uh, and maybe what what geographies are you are you focused on? No, great question. So we 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 got health, we got uh, FDA cleared around the middle of 2021. Um, so we've really been ramping up commercialization over this last year. So it's been really a, a little year and a half of full-out commercialization. But that being said, like our company is well positioned to continuously innovate. I think that's part of the core, a real reason for why we created Mall in the first place and why I left clinical practice to do this is to be able to take innovations, scale it up and have impact that's not just confined to a single institution. Um, and so the way we've structured our company is we're heavy in commercialization, but we have half of our company that's actually still R&D and development. So we're continuously coming up with new things. I think we have a cadence of really significant new product introductions every year to year and a half. Coming up with something new that is very original and impactful is kind of core to what we do. So in addition to achieving commercial success, we're really aiming at constantly coming up with something new. Got it. Got it. Super helpful. Um, so, well, I think that serves as a nice kind of transition point to sort of go back in time and learn a little bit more about sort of the journey of Molly, maybe on a kind of a, a functional basis, if you will, kind of looking at development and Raycon, et cetera. And so again, for everyone listening, if you don't get a chance to get to the full write-up on Medsider, uh, that accompanies this particular um, audio episode. Um, Molly Surgical uh, is the website, M-O-L-L-I surgical.com. You can go a little, learn a little bit more about the technology, the company, the team behind uh, uh, the, uh, the, the technology as well. So with that said, Anand, let's start with 
product development, right? And you you kind of hinted at this that you know when you this first started out very much like a research project, right? You didn't intend to sort of you know become the CEO of a device company, and I'm sure your early prototypes, right, of the the the, the Molly system look a lot different than 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 uh, <laughs> than what what the system looks like now. So when you kind of think back on those early years of of trying to sort of rapidly iterate you know, with, with likely probably limited capital, are there a, a few things that come to mind that either were, were really helpful that you did right, or maybe, you know, alternatively, you know, if you had the chance to kind of go back in time, which, which maybe you, you did a little bit differently? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that we were really fortunate to have was the ecosystem in which we came out of. I, I think have being clinical and and, and 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 John also being part of Sunnybrook, like we were very embedded in patient care, and I can't stress that enough because it puts your priorities in the right spot. Like I've been part of delivering care using technologies with inexact designs that resulted in treatment errors. And then I've had personally had to have those challenging conversations with patients and families because of those. And so that just puts an additional kind of burden when you're making your own devices now to make sure that design is top and foremost and risk mitigation is really what you're thinking about all the time because you now you know you're not using somebody else's it's yours and i think that was that environment really set that priority up front and also you recognize from that environment like robustness and reliability are key and the easier something is to use is absolutely paramount it doesn't decrease from the the appeal, it actually increases the appeal of a technology by making it just really easy to introduce because staff is so overburdened and overwhelmed. So really exposure to the environment and the users and understanding not just like, okay, this is my device and this is how it's going to be used, but the entire treatment landscape and how you can make their lives easier and that of the patient's experience of treatment better is absolutely critical in the early days. And I think we did that really, really well. Um, the thing that I think we could have done a, a, a little bit better was um, we, it, it, so in, in the Canadian ecosystem, it's all about trying to prove things out. So you like before we even start to get commercial and create Molly, we already did a phase one clinical trial. So I think we were fairly late in the um, um, commercialization process compared to others in the space. So I, I think there is value to starting a lot of that commercial in parallel with like your early pilot testing and getting a little bit more traction on understanding what the market looks like and using that to drive, you know, what your commercial launch would look like a little bit further. So if we pulled that up a little bit earlier, I think that would have benefited us in in terms of like the speed and focusing on the right things at the right time from a commercial aspect and the clinical aspect. I think just the ecosystem, as long as you can be embedded in the ecosystem in which your patients and and and, and clinical teams are, that we did quite well. And, I, and I, I, I'm trying to emulate that. Now that I'm out of that atmosphere, how do we how do we maintain that level of engagement and really make sure we were building devices that um, understand that clinical need exquisitely? That's the that's the trick when you kind of are separated from that ecosystem. Right. That that's interesting. Uh that the point you brought up about um kind of continuing to remain entrenched in the ecosystem. I was having a conversation last week with one of our um 
one of our KOLs for Fastwave, and uh, he mentioned that the and I'm not gonna, I won't name the name, but this is a large strategic that he he previously worked with. I mean, billion dollar publicly traded company, and the CEO made it made a commitment almost I, I think if I remember correctly on a monthly basis to 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 go out and be and, and be in cases right. And this is the this is a you know this is a billion dollar you know, company with a billion dollar market cap, you yeah. know hundreds and hundreds of maybe not thousands of employees still on a monthly basis going out and embedding himself kind of in the in the trenches right seeing cases uh going going to see follow-up you know patients in, in in clinic et cetera and I think that really stood out to me and I think is uh to, to your point is really really important especially as the company kind of evolves and and uh and scales commercially I, I do the same I very much <laughs> am at least and I would argue probably in cases it's at least once a month yeah. uh myself but it is it gives you a very, and there's absolutely, our team is amazing and they'll relay information really well, but there's something about seeing it with your own eyes Mm -hmm. that is, um, you know, it's an intangible quality. You, you know, you have a different lens than others. And so bringing that lens to what you see versus just, you know, having it uh, relayed is often, is often very, very insightful. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. A couple other follow-up, I guess, comments slash questions I had for you and and that kind of stood out as I, as I listened to kind of your response. Um, one is that your 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 comment around um, simplicity of design and making sure that the learning curve is as low as possible, right? Um, in terms of uh, a, a adoption at the at the at the end, you know, at the, at the uh, with with the end users, that's so important because I um, and I'm sure you do. You have a you know a network of of entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs, and it's so the, the trade off between adding additional features or optimizing for a certain benefit. But layering layering that up against kind of what what that learning curve will be, and oftentimes if 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 that if it's, if there's going to be too much friction right with the end user and it's just a little bit too complicated, that oftentimes far outweighs any sort of benefit. And I think it's just a really good point to be to be mindful of. You know, if you're listening to this and you're kind of in those early phases of either developing your initial system or maybe a follow up product like Remarkable, you know, just to keep really keep that in mind. I think you're, you're, you're nailing it right on. It's just, it's just one of those things where for us, it was when you do something, make sure it's very purpose-driven. You solve the essential problem and you do it exceedingly well. And then if you want to layer on things later, that's fine. But like, make sure that the actual problem you're trying to solve is done so that someone picking it up can just immediately use it. And that was the goal with Molly, and it still remains the goal to this day with everything we build is things should be self-explanatory. It's just right. like, you know, your your phones. They, they make it so that you pick it up, you turn it on, and you don't have to have an IFU to teach you how to use it. Um, right. I think that's what we want with all of our medical devices is it should be so intuitive and risk-reduced that anybody can just plug it in and go and be able to, like, do high-quality care with them. Yeah, that's a good that's a good framework, honestly, is like, is my device out of the box? Is it so easy to use that, you know, you wouldn't even necessarily need to pull an IFU, right? Um, it's a really, really good, really good kind of kind of framework to start with. The other question I had for you, um, kind of um uh, around your around your point related to sort of um thinking about commercialization earlier in in the process, pragmatically, are you kind of referring to um, you know, as you think about you know, your, your, your clinical work, ensuring that you're engaging with the right physicians that can obviously help you with, with, with your clinical efforts, but that also sets you up for kind of those early, early soft launches. Is that sort of what you're referring to? 
It's, it's really around soft launches, yeah. exactly. Because for for us, it's really in order for us to commercialize and get to a particular scale, we we're very much contained, proving that this technology works and is very effective. Um, and then we were able to take that step to create an entity that then could go outside the the, the confines mm-hmm. or but the walls of Sunnybrook to other institutions and explore explore opportunities outside. I think exploring those outside opportunities early is absolutely something that I would encourage a little bit more of. And 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 really like if you this is you know looking backwards. Initially we were we were literally like this was just an academic, this was like we were gonna help the patients of Sunnybrook and we would be very content with that. It's only after we started getting all of these inbounds that we realized, oh, there's something more here. And so it was very organic, which is also good. But I think if you have, if you're purposeful in how you do things, and if this is something that you wanted to do um, right out of the gate, then I would be very purposeful about like going as far and creating a network as quickly as possible, recognizing that you will, you're onto something and you'll figure it out as, as you kind of go through the iterations of development. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a really good point. I was actually um, recording a, kind of a, a mini podcast actually with, with with someone else in the space earlier today. And we were talking about this very same thing of, you know, when you're building a startup, should you, should you kind of operate in stealth mode or begin to kind of tell your story publicly? And I, I'm a big believer in, in the latter, right? The, yeah. the more, the more you can raise awareness for kind of your vision and what you're building, et cetera, the better, because it allows you to begin to foster this community, right. And just engage with more, uh, more end users, more physicians, more stakeholders that even if they're not, even if there's not like a tangible next step with this kind of cohort of people, maybe there will be six, nine, 12 months uh, down, down the road. So I think it's a really, really good point. I mean, to your point, like doing a startup is incredibly hard, incredibly <laughs> hard. And people don't, because it's so hard, no one pays attention to you when you're so like early because the chance of you failing is like almost guaranteed. <laughs> So people will start paying attention when you start to like actually like create revenue and you have something going. But until then, it completely the the risk benefit to like reaching out and telling your story and building awareness is fully on the side of like build as much awareness as possible because you know people will love to hear the story, but they really don't count count you existing until you actually show up. Yeah, yeah, and so the more the more you can kind of tell your version of the world of the, of the, of the world or the world that you want to exist, right. With the, yeah. with the products you're building, uh, the more that gives you a chance, right. Uh, to, to get the attention of whatever, whether it's physicians, investors, uh, payers, wh- whoever, they at least know something yeah. about what you're trying to do. So I think it's a really, really good point. And to, to your, uh, to, you know, your, your comment around, you know, building startups is so hard. I mean, it is, it's just like, you're pushing a boulder up a hill and trying to balance all of these different considerations. And it's very, very difficult, but like that's a really, really good point to be mindful of, you know, even in the earliest stages of, okay, let's, after we get through, you know, this, this clinical work and you're trying to peek around the corner, you know, trying to ensure that you, you're, you're thinking about the commercial aspects as early as possible, the, be- the better. So um, let, let's use that as, as, as a little bit of a, a transition point to, to talking about, you know, ClinReg in, in general. And you, you mentioned this earlier that you were highly focused on, on achieving these clinical milestones, right, out, out of the gate. And this whole topic can be really kind of hard to navigate, right? Um, especially if, you know, if your technology is fairly novel, like it is at, at, at Molly. And so when you when you think about how you approached it, not only cl- your clinical work, but how, how that kind of ladders up to achieving cl- uh, regulatory milestones, 
were there a couple things that that kind of come to mind that you think would be good good tips or good pieces of advice for other you know founders or CEOs that are that are kind of in the trenches, kind of working on their their own kind of uh, roadmap? Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash premium.